Okay, so uh, what does thought leader Matt Iglesias have to contribute oh, today? <laughs> the the Matt piece is uh, called, ready for this? Vandalism and theft aren't helping. Oh, oh God. The, the deck oh, fuck off. is, the deck, the deck is, America has a great tradition of civil disobedience. Looters aren't following it. <laughs> Do it, you're doing it wrong. And then the picture, the picture is uh, a picture of a smash window at a Lululemon. Oh boy! Uh, of course, so, of course. Yeah, you know, you could write the same article, but say protests aren't violent enough to follow American historical tradition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, I you digress. know, it's just more whining about threats to his property values. Okay, I mean, I guess to chat to channel someone like a, a pundit like an Iglesias or or whoever. Here's the thing: is it a pundit? Um, Here's the <laughs> thing: the thing about <laughs> cops is they should all be. <laughs> anyway. With that, welcome to the Deaf Panel, the official podcast of the Cool Zone. <laughs> Support the show and become a patron at patreon.com. You'll get an extra episode every week, and we couldn't do this without you guys. We've got a very packed episode for you today. The four of us are going to do our thing, and then we have a great interview for you. And with Kay from Survived and Punished, plugs aside, there's one topic today, folks. Surprise. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about Kamala Harris for the next hour. Oh, yeah, I mean, could she be a VP pick? You know, is it going to be like, what do we really think about her prospects? I mean, like how is she going to appeal to voters in Iowa? I think is the thing, right? Racial justice. How do we Iowa. heal this divided nation? I mean, it's just such a slow news week. What better than the veep stakes to get into JK? Yeah. Um, I don't even have to tell you what it is. We're obviously talking about the, the popular uprising. Yeah, the mass civil movement that has been going on. So as of like two days ago, there are over 350 cities in America which are currently having multi-day protests, um, which initially erupted after the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, and have been sustained yep. by some ongoing acts of extreme, wanton, explicit police brutality, like giddily mm-hmm. happening in front of people who, like, they know, like, police know that they're being filmed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Like, uh, happening in front of cameras, happening, like, you know, to the complete disregard of any semblance of, like, the PR constraints that they, <laughs> that they are yeah. still putting out, you know, of the, like, so we'll have like Garcetti go out and like kneel or whatever with uh, like a couple protesters for a staged photo op. And then, you know, he'll just like send out the goons to like go beat people up like right after that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have like <laughs> like Andrew Cuomo go out and apologize to the cops. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, the, th- the oh thing about God. it is like the, the if you want a measure of the over over modulation to, to put it nicely, let's just say the the repression or the repressive like force of the state. The National Guard has been called out in such densely populated urban center type states as North Dakota, <laughs> Nebraska, 
mm-hmm. you know, really South places Dakota. with uh, strategic uh, counter-terror interests, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So where, where I assumed you were going with that National Guard thing was that there are more National Guard uh, deployed in U.S. cities now than there are active duty troops in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. Yes. Wait, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. So we are quite literally an occupied territory right now yeah. i mean by any metric you know there is a yeah. there is a police occupation of the united states right now that is that is i mean that is always present obviously right, but right. there is like the, that has literally turned into like militant uh riots first and foremost by police mm-hmm. like the yeah. police doing the rioting i think it's yeah, yeah it's important it's, it's hard to it's hard to really like capture uh, what a qualitative shift that is and i think it obviously varies from place to place. I mean, I think there's some some places where the PR strategy has been said, like they've lifted curfews and they've they've at least tried to uh, make the hand of their force a little bit less visible. Um, but I mean, I think in 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 major uh, in most major cities, th- there is no compunction about just a visibly. Uh, displaying the force of the state despite how violent it looks like they have no like at this point all of the the things that keep the state's repressive capacity under wraps during normal times they've dispensed with them they want they think it's strategic to show right that they are able to be violent and use and use their violence against anyone who would dare like try to take take uh, a freeway yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's like, what does that what does that tell us? Like, what can we read from this moment like that? They truly don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we saw in D.C. like there were I think it was 70 protesters were essentially like sort of chased into a neighborhood by police at which point a homeowner opened up his home to them and said, like, come inside, sheltering them in his private property um he like repeated to the police over and over that he gave them permission and the police proceeded to like throw tear gas canisters at his windows and like station like dozens of guards in full body armor with uh, like Mm -hmm. semi-automatic weapons outside of his house all night long what's that one like you have the right to like not have to quarter soldiers in your home from like declaration of independence like isn't that one of the points in that early uh in those early founding fathers documents but you do have the right to quarter cool teens in your home who can't get home because you're because your fucking military police force is trying to kill them it's your right to decide whether you're gonna let the teens into your house or the cops like yeah Cops can't force you to come into the party. Like they aren't welcome in that house, right? No, I will no, say that like the tear gas thing that you mentioned. One of the one of the things that is like kind of the wildest to me, and I know that this is not um, you know historically unprecedented because this you know this has happened throughout like American riots in like really even even just like the last ten years. I mean, look at what all the crazy shit that went down at Standing Rock, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for example. But like the fact that unanimously, like if you turn on, uh, you know, we, we kind of alluded this t- to this before, but if you turn on like CNN or MSNBC or whatever, like you will obviously, you know, ever anyone listening to this will know that you like will not see the uh, like any of the many, many videos of police clearly being the people who are like 
Except instigating. For when it accidentally happens on live television and they can't cut away to another reporter. But they won't enough. mention it. Even, right, when, no, no, even no. when it happens on live, this is the thing, even when it happens on live TV that like, um, and you know, that's not to say that it's always because like whatever, like if, if the people want to instigate violence, the people will instigate violence. But like in a lot of cases, police uh, in like most cases that I've seen, I think in like the uh, mm-hmm. in like all these videos, like police are the ones instigating violence and for really like clearly clearly like just malicious just like they feel like it you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they're doing what mm-hmm. they feel like and what they feel like is just starting to beat people up basically but um you know the fact the fact that like on like on top so on top of them not showing or really talking about that on even the like major on like the major news networks or whatever on top of it they will literally show like they will go city to city to city live footage almost every city they're like and here they've like deployed gas or whatever to you right. know, and like literally like literally b and i were watching msnbc earlier this week and there was a reporter like actively being kettled mm-hmm. with protesters <laughs> right. by police who were using tear gas mm-hmm. and this happened while he was saying like yeah oh no no, no. like while he was actively saying like oh no 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 like um you know, for the most part, they're like non nonviolent, but then there are like some bad apples, and they've instigated. They mm-hmm. they they provoked the police, and right, it's as, like, are you fucking insane? And he's saying this, this is happening to you right now at, yeah. in the yeah. foreground, wearing like a full on like face shield respirator, <laughs> while in the background you see cops in body armor with shields and nightsticks, like smacking nightsticks against their hands and like charging with like yeah. gas in the background and flashbang grenades and concussion grenades and like. What the f- actual fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, the number of times I'll just say, wait, just personally, I'll say the number of times in the last three days that I've just seen cops casually throwing white supremacy that that white supremacy fucking hand gesture around. Oh, really? Just for fun? Yeah, yeah. While they like, they'll yeah. a lot of them will like cover their badges right they have these like these bullshit covers oh my um, god yeah the black uh, fabric thing to, that yeah. quote unquote, is quote unquote for uh mourning officers lost by covid like fuck off yeah apparently yeah, exactly. they started doing this like in early april the initial announcement was like april 16th and that's right around the time that they were also kicking lots of unhoused people out of the subway in the middle of the night yeah mm-hmm. and arresting people that way so yeah so the number of times that i've seen them when people scream basically like uncover you know like uncover your badge right yeah um like what are you hiding they i've truly seen this three or four times their response is to uncover it very quickly cover it right back up and then throw an Aryan nation oh, sign good wow yeah. jesus yeah. christ yeah. The, the NYPD essential workers. Yeah. <laughs> right. And these Fuck. are the people who have the now the license to use CS gas. Right. On yeah. large populations. Uh, this Which, is the way that they see people. Am I am I full of shit in saying that that is not allowed under the war Geneva Con- yeah, yeah, Geneva Convention. Yeah. It's, it's a war shit. I mean, like, yeah. what tear gas is, is absolutely awful. It's a cocktail of chemical irritants and mm-hmm. respiratory irritants. We also had someone who was pepper sprayed to death in MDC. Just last mm-hmm. night, yeah. yeah. Which, right. uh, because again, these are chemical irritants and if you were to like spray someone with asthma there was another protester who died i think like um somewhere in the pacific northwest because she had asthma and she was pepper sprayed and like 
mm-hmm. had a really bad asthma attack. There have been reports of people having seizures in custody. Uh, I think it's 200 people have been held past the 24-hour mark, which is a law in New York City that if you're arrested, you have to be arraigned and charged, you know, processed within 24 hours. And they've got, you know, 200 people documented as having their rights violated just from the past 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And, of course, like all happening in the midst of a massive public health crisis, you know, which considering this take that you you brought in Phil from Matt Iglesias about um, the uh, good rioters and the bad rioters uh, or good protesters and bad protesters I think that might be a good uh, way to sort of get into our bigger discussion because this has been something Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about a lot off mic um, is the sort of distinction that's being set up between those who do property damage and those who peacefully demonstrate or the like violent versus non-violent protesters whatever yeah disruptive non-disruptive you know (laughs) that like uh reinforcing that dichotomy is like oh there's like you know there there are like the morally good ones who are there to just like stand up and make sure their voices are heard and then there are like the people who are uh like bad or whatever and they're bad because they're taking i don't know like bottles of water from like a cvs like yeah (laughs) okay yeah i mean but like the the other thing is that like the all of these attempts to draw these distinctions and like criticize they make they make all of these assumptions and like the first one i think this is like one that happens more on the left is like that this is not that that uh Looting, rioting, not strategic. Uh, you know, this is like from a strategy perspective, from a strategy perspective, mm. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. but it's like, it, okay, that that just betrays that you do not understand what is happening in the country. <laughs> which is, these are not coordinated. These are not strategies. Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. people responding to objective social and economic conditions. I'm sorry that um, they don't work for jacobinmag.com. <laughs> right. Um, but like, that is yeah. not, but like, if you don't understand that, like, you have no, like, what you say about them m- means absolutely nothing to anyone yeah. who's engaging in this stuff. Totally. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, like, what, what business do you have being a, like, commentator on the left, right, center, or otherwise? Like, you simply have no sociological understanding of right. what is happening. Well, it is well, not, that is not a thing that you get to make a judgment about whether or not it is strategic because it's not a thing that is the object of strategy. Right. Well, well, it's just, it's the fact that they're like, that they sort of claim to like have some understanding of like working class, like organizing and like the history of like movement building. And then they like yell at a decentralized movement. It's like screaming into the wind or at a TV, like, <laughs> what exactly do they think is going to be achieved? Yeah, big, big, like, boomer, big boomer energy. It is um, big boomer energy, right? Yeah. Well, I think let's put this into two components because they're kind of they're kind of like yeah. two things that we're intermingling in here a okay. little bit because th- there's like the violent nonviolent discourse, right? right which is and one then, thing. And then we're kind of we're kind of treading a little bit into the the sort of like. But what do the protesters want? They don't appear to have any demands discourse, mm-hmm. which I do want to talk about. But I think yeah. I think maybe let's let's hit the Stick other thing first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just to say, you know, like, like what, what do you expect? How how else are like, first of all, I think I think that it's important that everyone, regardless of like however uh like comfortable they feel in their in their like little bubble or whatever and whether they're Mm -hmm. like going uh like going out and actively 
um, being like part of these protests or they're just like retweeting shit or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Or they're like, even if you're one of those people fucking posting black squares and actively like undermining like the Black Lives Matter hashtag and and like um, like filling it with bullshit. Like even if even if you're one of those people, like it's important to look at like all of the things happening that are like uh, instigated by the people, I think, like over, over these course of days, more than a week now, it, like is an unqualified good. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't like the this this like tactics question is such is such squeamish bullshit. Frankly, it's just like it sounds to me like the, the question of whether it matters, whether property damage is done to again, like for in the majority like large companies that have like insurance that are still like fucking in Mm -hmm. the end like insulated from like from a lot of capital damage uh to the stuff like Mm -hmm. the the fact that damage is being done to property has nothing like is not saying that that is bad is just as as bad as saying like uh, oh well, like you might like we we can't go to we we must stay with stick with like Medicare for all who want it or something. Right. You know, it's the it's like I mean, not to mention the fact that like as it stands, um, a lot of the supposed like looting is being vastly like overreported. There was a a piece that went viral this this past week where the police had given comment saying that protesters had cleaned out the Rolex store in Soho in downtown Manhattan, mm-hmm. and then the Rolex store like manager said no we're a rolex store we put everything in the safe at night they came (laughs) inside and smashed vitrines and left yeah and everything was in the safe and nothing was stolen but the headline in the daily beast was 2.3 million (laughs) dollars worth of rolexes lifted from soho rolex store and the fact of the matter is that the average police budget increase every year is like much higher than the cost <laughs> of damage so far. Like LA, like Garcetti, he's planning on increasing the LAPD budget by I think $750 million this year. Yeah. Like the there is no comparison between the supposed looting and property damage caused by the civil unrest to the fucking money that we throw at an occupying military force who like says that they are our community police. Also, I think fundamentally mm-hmm. even doing the comparison is beside the point. It's too. bullshit. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. what, like they're, they're like also almost like totally incomparable because it's this, it's the, it's ultimately how to put it like whether again, whether it's, you know, to take examples from Minneapolis, just from like, mm-hmm. just even from like what happened at the very beginning last week, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think fundamentally there's a huge gulf between breaking into and taking shit, uh, like repatriating shit back from a target mm-hmm. um, or burning down the fucking police station that like housed the person who that like was the precinct where uh, like the cop originated from who fucking killed George Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's right. You're just you are stri- like there. What other way do do people have to uh, like to strike back at power both mm-hmm. like literal like uh police violent power and, uh and like f- financial violence power you know what i right. mean right. yeah i mean no i mean like the matt iglesias point which is so um i mean this is this is like junior high history shit but it's like yeah. well the boston t- <laughs> you know so like his whole thing is like the boston oh, tea so party funny. wait i have to like i have to read this because it really bears okay you ready for this quote the essence of the Boston Tea Party is that 
<laughs> New England radicals protested an act of British Parliament that was designed to help the British East India Company. They boarded the company's ships and destroyed its tea in an act directly tied to their political message. <laughs> and then he says that basically the, you know, the things like, uh, you know, smashing up Target, the third precinct, like that's not really the same thing. Um, and it's like, well, no, number one, the, like you could just dispense with the, the police thing because that is actually the same thing. Um, right. you know, that's, that's just like, you have not done the right comparison here, young master Iglesias. Yeah. Um, but then the other, the other, uh, obvious thing is like, Hey, if there's an economic form to, to the right, it's like, well, it's not as if there's like one company you are protesting. It is the fact that these companies are in fact themselves, you know, extracting, uh, you know, surplus value from you know, they're underpaying their workers that like all of the people who work for these companies don't have uh, health insurance. I mean, this is just like, uh, you know, what, 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 I'm sorry, Matt, would you like to give us a list of targets? I mean, I would <laughs> love to see the Matt Iglesias like list of approved targets. Right. Um, no. Well, but this, well but and, like, yeah. And then, but the, the other funny thing is just that he somehow he sort of assumes that like at the time there was like a, colonial Matt Iglesias who was like yes approved you know like like uh, upon you know, in hearing a white curly wig or something <laughs> yeah exactly because like, that's right that's what happened back then cu- that's culottes how that with, with high stockings <laughs> yeah that actually is how Matt Iglesias dresses but um Perfect. nonetheless like he literally he assumes that like at the time there was somebody being like yeah okay I'm seeing the logic here that makes sense all right this is cool yeah all right approved like wh- wh- what do you think like yeah anyway yeah he, just, he talks about he talks about the boston tea party he doesn't really importantly talk about the boston massacre right uh, yeah. which would would be a very good uh strike against his point but it nevertheless it's like number one uh this is this is not this is not a thing that you can like judge as an act of strategy this is a like spontaneous human response to abject like yeah. state repression and need the other thing is it is as if like you're making this point kind of it, it, it further underlines this false assumption that like it's we as observers who get to make the distinction between what is violent, not violent, peaceful, not peaceful, a terrorist mm-hmm. act, not a terrorist act. It's the state that does that. And I think like you can do the counterfactual. Imagine that there were no um, acts of looting or, you know, right. fires set to anything and you just you simply had massive numbers of people taking the street every single day, taking freeways um, and, and the like. Do you think that the state would somehow hang back <laughs> on um, exercising <laughs> repressive force? Or do you think that there wouldn't somehow be like at least the, the inklings of this, uh, like whatever people are calling like white backlash, uh, mm-hmm. like the, the variables would be the same. Yeah, right. uh, I, I don't I'm, see how they would be any different. They would simply call the things that are uh, what Matt would now think of as being nonviolent violent. Right. <laughs> not, exactly. Well, and not to mention the fact that like in many of these reports where they sort of have a man on the street going to interview the mom and pop businesses who have been affected. The quotes are like, it's broken glass and stolen booze. It's an easy fix compared right. to what people of color are dealing with in this country or <laughs> the price Actual we pay quote, for yeah. freedom or just a few thieves taking advantage of someone else's struggle. If this is the price we have to pay for human rights, so be it. 
it. Like they're <laughs> having a hard. Abloh, it's like this is the difference between streetwear and scare quotes street streetwear. Like these people don't actually care. Never well, mind. No, but I mean, it's like <laughs> it's it's journalists have been hard pressed to find mom and pop shops who are like, how dare these people attack my property? Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I mean, Artie and I were out in Midtown, and there were very there were very few like people on the street who were scared. The people on the street who were scared were all wearing NYPD uniforms. A bunch of people. There was like not that much property damage. You know, the people who own like mom and pop businesses were like not upset. Like Mm -hmm. there is. Yeah, everyone looked happy and fine. Some people looked looked upset and scared as shit, but whatever. Could you you imagine like a little mom and pop jewelry store in K-Town right now? I can't imagine that they're doing a bunch of business, nor can I imagine that they've necessarily gotten some of you know, Congress's very generous small business loans. This this like <laughs> insurance money might mean that they stay open is the ironic thing. That the <laughs> the property damage might provide more support for small business owners in their community than like the fucking like I mean federal yeah. government. I'm trying I'm imagining like the uh the colonial era Matt Iglesias or Nate Silver, who actually I think would not be a colonial American, but at, at, if they definitely if, British. If in yeah, if in the colony would be an envoy of the crown. Um sure. <laughs> like uh I'm imagining imagining uh them being like these colonists, I don't understand. <laughs> They're they're destroying property in their own communities. Like, <laughs> um. See, the real problem is public green space and urbanization, and everyone is too close together. The if real everyone had a backyard, right. yeah. I, I don't think we need to get like hung up like mm-hmm. here for too long. But I think that the um, that line too that you'll like hear that you'll hear a lot because we might as well. I mean, I think everyone knows that a lot of these lines are bullshit but we might as well take a pause to like explain why but the yeah. like quote unquote uh you know destroying property in their own communities thing is like uh i mean such obvious like bullshit even from if you have basic lived experiences as like mm-hmm. anyone in mm-hmm. the united states i think you can understand that like like whether whether it's like the third uh like the third precinct uh police station or like the target but let's take the, the example of like uh, like a target or another like big box store or something that might get broken into like these these are spaces which exist at such heightened levels of abstraction from people's <laughs> actual lives like to the point that even if you are someone who works there like i don't know if you've had this experience um you like any any of you guys but like if you've worked as a retail employee in mm-hmm. like a big company mm-hmm. like have you ever had the conversation with someone where like you uh, maybe you've just like gone for a training thing or something or you're just like having a casual chat with someone who's like mm-hmm. su- like suspiciously bought into the culture of the company yeah and they're like my like my goal is I'm gonna work for corporate one day and you're literally and you literally have to be like I'm so sorry to have to like break your entire worldview but like literally that is not how this works there is not even like a po- there there is not like a pathway for for like people right. of the class position who are like working at Target to like go to work at Target yeah. corporate you know like even that mm-hmm. you know what I mean e- like even that like fundamental basic like thing th- there's so many like layers of managerial and and like capital and insurance based like right. uh like abstractions and like control mechanisms basically that it's like you know 
it's like fucking house house monization or whatever but of like yeah. everything i mean having yeah. worked many of these these types of jobs over the years like they survive on the myth of like upward mobility within the organization and the idea that management has some sort of like leverage or freedom or or security that is like absolutely not true the moment you like go and see you know that your like manager is leaving and just as fucked up a car as you're leaving in it's like (laughs) yeah i mean i think like we're seeing these like sort of dog whistles of the outside agitator coming in from other states and causing property damage which it's like there are what did we say over 350 cities now like where Mm -hmm. are these outside they're in all all 50 states they're like (laughs) they're crossing the they're like moving into every state simultaneously it's a very lovecraftian uh hypothesis is like well what if what if they were just uh you know what if this is just like evil dragged from elder worlds this must be that they're just they're always there's no inside there's always only an exterior yeah Mm -hmm. it's incredibly lovecrafty 2020 uprisings were an outside job (laughs) that i mean that was basically cuomo's press conference yeah i know and and that's been the line that uh that uh de blasio has been talking to yeah but I mean, today Cuomo was saying like de Blasio should let police do their job. And it's like, what do you think they've been doing for the past 10 days? But whatever. Um, I mean, but like so you have the sort of like outside agitator argument. You have the good protester, bad protester argument. And one of the things that's like been bothering me personally is the fact that like. In my mind, like collectively, our priority here is should be like protecting the protesters who are getting um, attacked by the cops right Mm -hmm. like that that in my mind should be the sort of rhetorical uh goal of like anyone on the left let's say right now would be like how do we make sure that like our speech doesn't endanger the people that is that are being attacked by cops at protests well how do we support them and make sure that as many people as possible go out in solidarity right right Mm -hmm. but of course what we've seen is a lot of people actually turning to a different angle going more towards this sort of like oh you know bad bad protesters people acting in bad faith even to the like really unconscionable takes of like oh they're a literalist movement or they're a movement that has like no demands that are concrete so they're sort of like inexperienced and incapable which is like the ultimate like racist dog whistle of like Mm -hmm. like left organizing in in my opinion Mm -hmm. but i think it's really dangerous because all that all that rhetoric does is reinforce the fact that like there are protesters who deserve to be cracked down on and that's fundamentally not true yeah Mm -hmm. i want to point out one thing that just the in in terms of the um you know doing what we can to support and like protect Mm -hmm. people also cops know that this right. is something that's important for for people to do that like and that's why i think you see all the videos of uh cops doing things like driving a pickup truck up to next to like a stand where water jugs and like medic supplies are mm-hmm. and like loading them on like literally stealing um you know doing actual property theft the uh mm-hmm. the vaunted property theft and looting that we've heard so much about um and uh and other videos of them like you know taking knives to to water bottles yeah and shit i, and, I right. saw footage of other medical supplies of cops and national guardsmen in portland taking like screwdrivers to water bottles and poking holes in them to yeah. just like you know I mean, I think there's a lot of um, I think there's a unfortunately like a storied history of like the sort of white radical left uh, turning to like protest movements led by people of color and saying um, 
this is like feral and coherent. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, um, not as somehow like not as professional as my organizing, I feel like is something yeah. that I've seen a lot. And all uh, the organizing you've done of seminars and coffee clutches <laughs> and yeah. conferences. If you don't have a gallon of coffee, does it really count as a, as a, as an organizing action? There have to be at least five independent book publishers there. Right. With little, with little uh, stand-up kiosks. whose rules are you using to run your meeting, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, and I, I think we're seeing this a lot, which is like the sort of people like, oh, here I am at this protest, and look, everybody is peaceful over here in like Fishtown in, in Philly. Mm-hmm. Like everyone over here is peaceful. And then you like see like an hour later footage of like cops like kettling people who are on the freeway in between two bridges and like pushing them against a fence and like the idea that that in any way there's like a difference between sort of this type of organizing and like what people were doing on the Bernie campaign. <laughs> yeah, as though it's like invalid somehow what's happening now. And right, like exactly. the, the valid way to do this is is like through Yeah, I mean I I mean I think like if we can get to maybe like the even the 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 like narrower or like firmer point here mm-hmm. is like fundamentally it's like okay so before you say something like what do protesters want like consider this is a popular uprising uh like this is people standing up against like literally the the main vector of like state oppression in the united states Mm -hmm. like the first point of contact of state oppression of Mm -hmm. like like the imperial state and the like basically colonial like still colonial uh like occupation like that a lot of people feel in their daily lives and so like I don't know. I feel like it's, it's like you don't have to be a genius to see that like a uh, demand like NYPD suck my dick or whatever <laughs> is like, like is not just is not simply just like like it is a joke, but it's yeah. also like um, it's just it's saying like, fuck you, your laws are contingent, like your enforcement mechanism is brutal like uh colonial and also contingent so like this time like you don't get to suspend the norm we do like suck mm-hmm. my dick so mm-hmm. you know right practice <laughs> it's also like it is it is it is a choice it is a choice to focus on the and to criticize you know what what is happening or the actions that are happening rather than to focus on the causal sort of the underlying causal structure right there's the old Mm -hmm. uh, martin luther king quote about like our summers of riots are caused by winters of delay so like by focusing on and like uh Mm -hmm. you know nitpicking these um sort of uh, issues i mean you're not actually if, if you're if you claim that your goal is strategy which I have an idea of what your actual goal is, but if you claim that your goal is strategy, this is that's that itself as a, as an intellectual point is not strategic, right? What you're really interested fundamentally, if you're on the left and you're, you're doing this nitpicking is look, just admit that you're now professional leftist, that -hmm. your career depends on a certain level of respectability that you have to publish Mm -hmm. a certain magazine piece and have it read by very serious people to be Mm -hmm. elected to some office, to have some future career um, in a, you know, uh, a leftist government, which will what actually confront the the capitalist (laughs) state by, by changing its personnel. I mean, I think you have to, I think there's an, just a series of things that have just been like unstated assumptions about what the broader set of strategic orientations that people have on the left. And then, you know, it's like it, it caused a lot of, uh, you know, antagonism. So people don't talk about it. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? 
Now this is a moment where you have to actually start being explicit about those things rather than just using an unstated professionalism as a means of like, you know, racist criticism. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. And they're just like, not really, um, there's a real like sort of how dare you like this is my area kind of like turfism that yeah that I, I feel like I'm getting from them as well yeah it's I was it's I was into this before it was cool and yeah and now and now you've jumped on the bandwagon the irony is that literally all of the writing people have been having for you know like eternity has been geared towards how do we get more people on the fucking bandwagon like totally well and and not to mention <laughs> that like quibbling about strategy is so counterproductive at a moment when like uh whether it's like cable news or the new york times the mainstream opinion is basically like so uh who should we call in to uh quell the nationwide protest fbi counterterrorism uh people like <laughs> right. in, like in army? new york city uh should mm-hmm. we should we do the army should we do like uh i don't know should we subcontract uh blackwater and uh, have them run by like colonel oliver north or something you know is how like, halliburton yes, free halliburton's free <laughs> only if there's someone there as an accountability officer with every single unit to document it yeah that's you know? why you need ollie north so that we can have like that way we can have like a civilian oversight panel with one civilian representative and the rest is, um, you know, city officials at the end afterwards. Is when that, we uh, do. Is that DeRay's proposal? Oh, no, not That's even. not even that. <laughs> not oh, even. Like his is like, ugh, should I pull up DeRay's well, proposal? Yeah, yeah. Wait, Actually, can we also, like all of that type of like lib shit, we are like are know that we're going to have to fucking deal with so like if you actually are on the left in some way shape or form like fall in line or start fucking <laughs> refuting that shit because or like yeah don't stop like you have a defund of the police like abolition abolish right. the police there is a long right there's right. a long fucking history right, of- right but the co- but it's like also the coffee club clutch like leftist bullshit it's like you know what they're all set up to do like refute half-ass lib proposals so yeah. go do that go Using do that our own thing. logic often yeah as Nathan yes. <laughs> in our right. last episode getting into uh deray's um oh boy eight can't wait proposal so uh Something called Campaign Zero, which is, I'm assuming, his initiative. Uh, DeRay is the host of Pod Save the People of the Crooked Media Network. Um, mm. And long, long standing, uh, very like lib oriented uh, Black Lives Matter uh, advocate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his um, his proposal, the eight point plan for reforms that could dramatically reduce police violence against citizens by, quote, 72%. So specific, right? Are you guys ready for these eight points? (laughs) New simulations suggest that uh, if we just made this, if we just did this one simple trick. um, (laughs) I do want to know where the 72%. Same. Yeah. I I have to know. I mean, yeah. but like, I mean, I'm actually sort of agnostic, but like, right? okay, like, but like what, but what is 72%? Yeah. Like, what's the confidence intervals on that? What's the lower <laughs> and upper bounds? I mean, they don't actually say at all. So, really. so tell us about the plan. 
So the plan. So uh, ready for this? This is radical. Why do abolition when you could do a 70% reduction in some of the harm that the police do? Um, Number one, ban chokeholds and strangleholds. Um, Actually, New York City uh, Council has a overriding majority and I think is going to do this in the next 24 hours, which means, sorry, it's not good enough if the New York City Council can do that on their own, even overriding Bill Bill de Blasio, you need a new point. Um, Require de-escalation. Cool. What does that mean? Require uh, nothing. (laughs) It's pretty Literally nothing. It's meaningless. Require warning before shooting. Oh, great. So there's still shoot. Just warn. Um, As far as I know, when they shot someone 19 times in Crown Heights two days ago, they did warn him three times, but while he was hiding behind a tree, so maybe he didn't hear and then it counts. Or also, that police violence was okay. No, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, all of the stuff that's happened this week has been okay by this, so metric, f- yeah. by this metric right mm-hmm. um so what what percentage of the list are we through so uh, that already might be less than 72 percent reduction based on exhaust <laughs> all other means before shooting God. again <laughs> the violence that we have seen this week still falls under like as acceptable under these eight points um duty to intervene and stop excessive force by other officers I thought that was a job requirement already, but ban shooting at moving vehicles. So you can shoot the car, but you have to pull it over first. Right. Require use of force continuum. So this is paperwork. Um, Require comprehensive reporting each time an officer uses force or threatens to do so. So his answer is um, make them fill out a bunch of forms afterward. Ban a a technique which we have known for over 40 years is absolutely dangerous and has explicit overt racist origins within the LAPD. Um, Require de-escalation. I thought that was already a thing in the police department. I thought that was an Obama-era thing that they pushed under Rahm Emanuel. Require warning before shooting. Fucking bullshit. It's a bunch of bullshit. It's like, listen, you can't shoot people. Asterisk. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, it's like we're, we're going to our, our plan to uh, end police brutality is we're going to politely ask the cops to yeah. sit and think about what they've done. So right. the problem, the problem in America is that you say hands up, don't shoot. What you should be saying is hands up, hands please, up. officer, don't shoot. No, hands up. Uh, ha- hands up. Tell me before you shoot. Yeah. Right. Are you sure you want to shoot me, officer? You're going to have to file paperwork now. Like you should have yeah. right. already had to file paperwork just saying the the thing about these these proposals is like you know you hear the first one it's like well obviously obviously mm-hmm. these these are like violent tactics that have no place in like any decent society um it but but this there's this betrays a sort of like there's a there's a strategy and a sort of like ethos of like liberal policy analysis which goes as follows one is that everything sounds good it, most proposals just sound good. Um, like, oh, we will require them to right. do something. We will we will enforce them to do something. Well, this betrays a real misunderstanding of how power works. We see this all the time with like the regulation of businesses. You put a requirement in. Mm-hmm. Sure as shit, they will find a way to do the same thing while evade, like while uh, technically obeying the requirement. That's mm-hmm. not how power works. Right. Uh, the fact right. is they exist. They have lots of money and a lot of resources. They have, uh, th- there are 
ambitions within the capitalist state, uh, especially like at the city level, it is city developers that they want to maintain mm-hmm. the, yeah. you know, it's like a high property values. And mm-hmm. so in order to do that, you have to keep uh, black and brown people in their place. That is mm-hmm. what uh, developers want. And it is how the police uh, satisfy uh, their mm-hmm. their desires. You don't take that structure away somehow. You can have all of the reforms you want. Uh, the the like the ultimate like that repressive hand of the state will not go away. It will just find different ways of gesturing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's why like I think it's so important to call for again not just defunding but like like abolition, like the replacement, as we right. talked about uh, with with uh, Nathan a bit actually too, like. Uh, in our last episode, like replacing um, the functions of the police with things that are just actual social services. Like there, there's not a not just not more reason. social workers too, because that's an important point. Right, exactly. Yeah. But there's you know, um, and and I think to I think to to propose reforms like this is to also suggest that basically also you just haven't even like thought about considered or internalized some of like the fundamental texts of abolition. I mm-hmm. mean, I have this like there's this great um, me. Uh, Uh, read this uh, Angela Davis quote, which I think is really good, which is, um, quote, despite the fact that we are legally bound to, and this is from uh, Angela Davis's text, Abolition Democracy, uh, quote, despite the fact that we are legally bound by national and international law not to torture, what the mainstream media seems focused upon debating is whether and when to use torture as if both national and international law could be suspended if the authorities deem it necessary. So that's, to me, that's exactly what, like, tell them before you're going to shoot them. Right. Sounds like is declare. Okay. Now it's actually, it's, it's like, um, how to put it. It's like fucking like red Rover or something mm-hmm. like <laughs> you go like stop, go or something like, okay. Now, uh, like the, all, all the norms are here. We're not, we're not doing, uh, like, uh, you know, ex- extraordinary police violence on you. Okay. Uh, opposite day. Now, now, right. like now, with are you time, ready? Like, we can do violence go. on you. If you do violence on us, then like we, we, it gives us license to like basically go in and like brutalize your entire yeah. community. I think Red Rover is a fantastic example already because <laughs> in a lot of ways, this is an establishment of terms of war yeah. um, right. between the police and uh, ordinary like people. people. Yeah. And if you think a lot about like, this reminds me so much of like, the kinds of like laws that were used to like turn Jews away at the border when they were fleeing Europe during World War Two, where you're like, well, t- can't technically, you know, <laughs> technically, I'm really sorry. Like you're going to have to have to turn the boat around. Meanwhile, we're like hiring Nazis three years later to come like build bombs for us. So it's like, yeah, it, you know, Gotta I gotta get those paper clips going. Yeah, it's it's really more like I think you see this a lot in in just like the ways that like people talk about like in particular like the Israeli and Palestinian um, border disputes and and when Israeli soldiers like kill people for no fucking good reason other than usually like probably target practice frankly like um, felt like it yeah like they're like oh wait but you know the 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 Palestinians stepped like two meters too close to this fence and there was a rock three feet from them where when we found their bodies so um like under the 
terms of war, like Israel's now justified in shooting this person. So in a lot of ways, like what DeRay's proposal actually is, is a system of indemnification for the current acts of violence that police officers in the United States use as day to day job tactics. This is their job description. And he's trying to like cement and codify that in a way that like prevents them from having to make any meaningful change. Right. You know? well, and, and the other thing is, like, you should know that a, like, package of, like, well, first of all, you should know that anything that bills itself as police, quote unquote, reform is is bullshit. And number two, like, if if any if if basically the entire cadre of sort of like, you know, corporatist like lib people are on board with it, you should know that, like, it's did is something that you should stay far far away from right like mm-hmm. you know just all you, all you really have to do is like look at who's like retweeting those like eight can't wait fucking memes and like and and it should tell you all like everything that you need to know yeah about like what about like who supports this and like whose power this is like intended to uh like either you know, cement, entrench, or like protect because it it certainly is not people. You right. Know? I mean, I think like one of the things that is, you know, additionally like very worrisome to me is that when you couple like the sort of, let's call this like the um, democratic establishment indemnification move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the sort of like, uh, thought leaders trying to separate good protesters and bad protesters that to me seems like a very dangerous situation for people on the ground you mm-hmm. know yeah um mm-hmm. at the end of the day yeah i think it well it does it does sort of it it it, it really either un unself critically which is terrible or or potentially even <clears throat> intentionally just just further it does the the work of the state for it <laughs> like, yeah. wh- like, why, like, why do you need to be carrying water for the uh, Bureau of Prisons? Why right. do you need to be carrying water for the NYPD? Uh, mm-hmm. You don't need to be doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And fun- fundamentally, like, you have a task. Your task is to understand things better. We have failed. It's it is evident. Is it not evident that we have failed to understand them to this point? Mm-hmm. Like, right. is it not evident when riots are happening that like maybe simply telling people that like if they voted differently or if like there were like a different like mix of reforms mm-hmm. <laughs> that like things would be otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. This is that we like haven't found the right technological mix yet. Well, yeah. and, and, really? and it's right. also and it's sorry, it's the it's the same as as it is the, the same sort of like, you know, rhetoric of like if the the power of the state sees its citizenry protesting in the correct manner it will somehow unlock some secret sort of like i I don't know like ability of the people to like demand reform like no fuck no also i mean also principally like okay like capitalism could in theory exist without police Right. Mm-hmm. Like in theory, um, <laughs> but it would lose its principal tool in like protecting and enforcing like the various mechanisms of capitalism 
So, you know, there's a, there is an argument to be made that if you, if your like goal is to defeat capitalism, that you more or less probably have to throw off the police state first. It's right? a requirement. It's a I literal mean, just requirement. Of, yeah. Which is why I think it's important that rather than calling for a reform, a lot of people who are part of this movement are explicitly calling for abolition. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. Think about any labor uprising in history. At some point, there is a point where the police are called in, the National Guard is called in, people are killed. Right. Yeah. That's I mean, and it doesn't matter like what 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 tools they have, what rules they have to follow. Don't you say it doesn't matter? Right. It doesn't right. matter. They're there. That's the point. They're there and they can be used. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. and as long as they are, the same thing will happen. It will happen in different forms. We'll be told that it's a different thing. Um, you know, we'll be told that what is lynching isn't lynching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we'll be told that like what is uh in fact surveillance and um, sort of militarization of uh, black communities is is community policing somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's you either have to be just uh, an idiot to <laughs> uh, like succumb to those rhetorical gesticulations, or you have to be complicit in them. Yeah. So or, which right. is or explicitly be acting in bad faith? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I think, uh, and I think that also, you know, just, sorry to to. to to, to cap that off it's also that like it's, it's not even like we part of this is that we have been told it's not that we will be told like we have been told that lynching is not lynching mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and uh you you see that like constantly but also uh explicitly in the case of the uh of situations like um you know explicitly with george floyd all the all the like well he had all these underlying conditions uh conversation which i I know is like uh, has has, it's been a while since um like that conversation was Mm -hmm. happening but it still happened immediately following and now i suspect because it came out um yesterday uh evening that george floyd was like positive for covid when he died like i'm sure that there is going to be a, f- a fresh fucking raft of that bullshit again of mm-hmm. like oh well he probably you know it's a respiratory illness like he probably died completely ignoring things like i don't know the murder of tony mcdade like more or less the same day or the fact that if you just like put a knee on someone's neck on the ground you'll probably snap it or yeah <laughs> right or also that it was obviously done like intentionally like, yeah. and over the course of like nine minutes. So anyway, you know, the, I think a good, like a good historic example that, that, um, is relevant considering the fact that like, we've just passed the sort of duration threshold is the 1992 LA riots. So, um, the Rodney King riots were six days long. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that they sort of got out of those riots was the, uh, resignation of, Daryl Gates, who was the police chief. Basically, in Los Angeles, in 1950, a guy named William Parker became the police chief. And he essentially, like, is one of the longest-serving police chiefs. He, or, or I think police officers in the LAPD. And he was really well-known for going to the South to recruit racist officers yeah. <laughs> intentionally to bring back to Los Angeles, telling them that if they came to work for the LAPD, they could beat the fuck out of black people. Of course, they used the N-word. But so essentially what happened is like William Parker had this protege, Daryl Gates, and he brought him up in the department and... um there was a rule uh, up until 1992 that you could not fire the police chief of greater Los Angeles. They had to resign. The mayor couldn't fire them. The city council couldn't fire them. So you essentially had like a white supremacist running 
a police department that began to set the standards for how to deal with the general public, right, mm-hmm. when it comes to racial conflicts. And they presided over the city of Los Angeles from 1950 to 1992 and proceeded to then export their tactics to the rest of the United States. Like, mm-hmm. everyone behaves like the LAPD in 1950 now. You know, <laughs> and and all that they, in a, large, in a lot of ways, all that was, like, meaningfully done in LA was, like, okay, you have one person step down, and, like, what has the LAPD become since? Is it any better, arguably, than it was in 1992? I would say no. Mm-hmm. I would say it's just as bad, if not worse, now. And I think it's, like, important to note that, like, all of the supposed violence and like arguably there was a lot more property damage in the Rodney King riots than there's been so far in this movement that all that got was like the police chief resigned and you got mm-hmm. some bail reform. Like we can't accept, we can't accept these band-aids again. This yeah, is like, this exactly. is similar to the Medicare for all movement where it's like you get sort of this nerf or nothing, right? You get this pushback <laughs> of like, you gotta be well-behaved. You gotta be decent. Like, well, you know what? Like, well, fuck you. Maybe, maybe that's actually just a very persuasive diversion tactic. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a great way for getting us to accept, like, you know, four cops getting arrested. Is sending four cops to jail going to fix racism by the police and white supremacy? Absolutely fucking not. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point mm-hmm. of putting cops in jail if mm-hmm. there are still cops? That's just <laughs> my mind of it. You know, and, and I think one of the things that's important is like, Again, what we need to be doing is like protecting every person on the street, like in our rhetoric and making sure that we're not saying things that justifies violence in any way against these people, because Mm -hmm. it's our only it's our only like leverage that we have as a group, I think, Mm -hmm. personally. I mean, I, I think it's also telling that like, okay, like what like what? since this has started like i'm just going to use new york city as i'm uh like in new york city what have they offered what has anyone in power offered fucking nothing they have offered nothing they have no you know, incentive bill de Blasio is just like i'm sorry Ooh, yeah don't, 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 don't please don't please. turn your back on me nypd yeah yeah mm-hmm. i right. love you nypd let me lick your boot no don't 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 your don't, don't bring your boot so away good. don't take your boot away so no bring i want back. the boot don't bring the boot oh thank you <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> anyway yeah but that's what he's been doing yeah, he's literally, they arrested yeah. his own child, and they let the yeah. media misgender like, his child, and he licked their boots the don't, same day. Don't dox me. Don't don't blow up my house and my PD. I promise I'll be good. I just want to <laughs> go. I just want to go to the YMCA. I just want to go to my YMCA. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck any fuck whatever bullshit they offer that 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 isn't expressly what is demanded. That's that's all. Bill I'm de Blasio saying. must suck their dicks yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> i think actually though it is it is worth circling back on the the narrative that's popped up which is the um they're going to be responsible for the next wave of covid oh god um yeah. because i do think that this is something that you know from the beginning of these actions um at least has been one thing that at least i like throw my phone across the house once a day like going, uh, <laughs> like um with anxiety about is just the sort of idea of like oh well you know really in this pandemic time it's fine to send you back to work but like 
God forbid you leave your Quiznos jobs to demand civil rights. Oh, yeah. See, this is not going to work, you know? It's it's the same reason why, like, when people at WVU, like, burn couches after a big football game, that's not a riot. That's just, like, kids having fun on a weekend. It's, like, the the same sort of, like, (laughs) blinkered coding of these actions. Like, well, this, you going back to work, that's actually, we can can take care of that. But you being out in the streets protesting, uh, you know, you're now going to be responsible for your own... Uh, I think it's worth and it's uh, you know it's worth uh, mentioning that like there's a there's an open letter with you know like more than a thousand I think at this point like thousands of uh, epidemiologists um, like health experts and doctors and and nurses um, signed on saying that basically you know it's like this is like this is uh, like unqualified worth it like this is this is the this This is the this is the definition of essential work yeah well that the you know that like the you know white white supremacy is uh just as big of a health of a health crisis you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and but like you know beyond beyond that beyond that sort of like you know uh like the stamp of approval from professionals there's fundamentally the thing of like if there is a second wave uh, I mean, first of all, there is going to be a second wave of coronavirus. New York, period. Like, yeah, period. Right. Like, New Regardless. York State right now, New York City is supposed to fucking quote unquote reopen um, on June 8th still. Um, and so like that's going to be a second wave automatically. You are sending people to die actively. Mm-hmm. And, and right. the, the, the inaction by the state and the fact that like, you know, Congress has said and congressional aides have basically said like, Nah, fuck it. We're not going to respond to this at all. Also, it's going to be a whole <laughs> other nerve. month. Uh, there's uh, uh, Jeff Stein tweeted out today that like it's expected to be a whole month before another uh, stimulus is considered. Oh even considered, considered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, call us no- when like twenty thousand people die. We'll right. So we'll maybe pick up the phone. And then, but and then and then beyond that, like the most likely vector for creating a second wave here. Guess what it is. One. Uh, do you see cops wearing any like you see cops wearing PP in the sense of like riot gear? You do you see them wearing PP that's, that's appropriate for COVID? That's no. armor, nope. not PP. Fucking no yeah. cops are wearing like they're uh, wearing ar- face shields as armor. Right. They're not wearing like face masks to keep to like help reduce like spread and infection. They just, you know, and that, that's not just at the protest. That's like if you walk around you also, see like well they were all protesting that like three weeks prior so right but same but, and the, but but then and then fun, fundamentally too like cops are also across the country like throwing people like if, if you're jailing a bunch of people and like mm-hmm. making them take their masks off and stay in prison overnight like that's gonna fucking spread covid like right. the, again not, not it's to like mention the, the use of chemical of, irritants like cs gas yes exactly so like the actions of the police are actually what is going to be the the fucking disease vector if, right. if if this is a problem at all right no mm-hmm. and I, I mean ultimately like okay DeRay you want to put out some like middling rules of engagement for the coming conflict between like you know people who want to support police brutality and then like sane human beings and maybe you could like <laughs> maybe be like oh how about this here's an eight point plan 
all cops must wear masks. Here's like maximum staffing requirements. They have to hand out masks. You know, like that's the kind of sh- like shit that would be like harm masks reduction. Must also display their badge number, and right. their badge number must be tattooed on their forehead right. to live with for the rest of their lives. Like, come <laughs> right. on, man! Like, we could have a great eight-point plan. That's like you have to task like tattoo a swastika on the head of every cop. Like, go for it. Like, <laughs> but I mean, this is still. I think this is still playing hey, into like that, that into that thing of like reform within the the fucking system. Like, you. I mean, I, th- I think this is what you're saying is like illustrative for sure of how absurd like a lot of the reform demands are but even mm-hmm. making those absurd ones um or not and they're not not that it's actually that absurd to it call, would save to call lives. for the tattooing thing but yeah. like you know uh, <laughs> but like uh ma- but even making those demands is like well no just fucking abolish the police just right. a- abolition you know it's not you know it's, it's a big compli- pain in the ass making a bunch of fucking like technocratic demands you know it's super easy no more cops. It's the abolition, stupid. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. one of the things that, I, that I've that i seen that's, like, really been difficult to, to grapple with has been the, like, well, some cops are put into the position where they have to become cops because it's a good job. And, you know, we really can't. It's, like, not all cops. And, like, do we really want to do an eye for an eye? Do we want them to suffer? Like, you know, the job loss. And it's, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we do. And that's okay. And that's appropriate because, you know, a lot of people have used the physician example, which I think is like a little flawed because the idea of like, um, like delicensing as justice is also like a very, um, very problematic in my opinion. But, you know, it, it is a valid point that like if a doctor intentionally does harm, um, they suffer like some, sort of professional consequences in many instances and many not. But yeah, like, I think it's okay to say, like, uh, if police officers lose their jobs, like, it might be hard for them to find new jobs and they might, you know, have to rely on welfare. Guess you'll have to get retrained. Too bad. (laughs) Um, You know, sorry. Like, what happens to people when they, like, come out of jail? So Maybe we shouldn't have trained them to do this in the first place. Yeah. But th- this is sort of why, like, thinking about this stuff at the, like, level of policies and, 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 like, practices and protocols is so fundamentally misguided. Imagine if, imagine if, like, during the French Revolution, which one of the first sort of, like, consequences was the end of feudalism. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> France. Okay. Uh, imagine if they had said, well, you know, uh, we've got this, like, declaration of the rights of man and everything, but... Uh, <laughs> But like, you know, the feudalists, like there's some good feudalists, uh, you know, there's some <laughs> well, nice lords. jobs, not all there's some lords. lords that like take care of their serfs really well. All lords matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of like, um, and like, and really, and really, what we really want is like a better class of lords. We want a better first and second <laughs> estate. Um, I mean, that's the, and that's the thing is that like, imagine the, the, the end of feudalism, the end of an entire system of like uh, property and, and like hierarchy that organizes the entire society in a very particular way. Ending the police by contrast is not at all, you know, it's really, it's a not radical. It's, it's okay. like, it is, it is, you want a modest reform, like end police and then do like five or six big social policies that if you implemented them would reduce a lot of the social and economic uh, factors in society that are themselves criminogenic that that right. that then re- recapitulate the demand for police. That's not right. that's not a revolution. 
That is actual reformism. Yeah, exactly. Which then let's chat. Yeah. yeah. To which point, actually, I think uh, it would be. I think. I think to be completely fair, and you know, remember, this is one of those uh, w- one of those cases where I know that uh, this got defended in some sense uh, online. Particularly because I think that like it depends on where like where the criticism is coming from often uh, when you're criticizing someone like uh, Bernie like mm-hmm. changes uh, changes the response a little bit because this is not to like you know completely discount everything that like they have done uh, or anything but I think you know we would be remiss to not call out the um, Sanders yeah. proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, on this, which I just don't even like understand. I mean, I understand that like they don't have as much staff as they used to. And frankly, I feel like they're, um, as, as much as, um, you know, we've been really extremely, um, positive on a lot of the policies that the Sanders team has put out. Um, and that though, that being said, like for Medicare for all, for example, you know, the reason that the Medicare for all policy was so good was because they listened to the criticisms, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Including like they eventually included long-term care, which is game changing, especially for people with disabilities and older people. And um, it took a lot of pushback and it took to a lot of pushing. consider it. Yeah. Yeah. But like the fact that, and you know, th- it's a, it's a long letter, but the fact that there is in it's not that long of a letter, but it, it, you know, it's, it's one part of the letter, but the fact that in the thing that the statement that, um, Sanders, uh, put out that is, uh, his letter to Chuck Schumer about, uh, mm-hmm. response that one of the things was what like incentivize better behavior by like making sure that like cops are paid better competitive wages. And so that like people will do, it'll attract mm. like a better class of officer or something like that really made me why? why why (laughs) fucking do that everyone knows that cops have good salaries not all cops obviously but like Mm -hmm. what the like police pensions are one of the things that often are actually still protected in the like many entry level many entry level police positions are on average i think it's 35 percent above the median pay in the communities where they exist and that's obviously Mm -hmm. according to like self-reported data because it's from Glassdoor.com, but I think 38% sounds like pretty good compared to, um, you know, like insert. Yeah, that sounds like a good paying job to me if it's 30% it, it, higher it, on average, regardless. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, just 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 delete the hell out of that because that's yeah. it like doesn't really recognize the function. That's sort of like yeah. you really have to like not see the function that police are playing in society and also like yeah. not see some things about the mm-hmm. like just how that fits into the priorities. Like, e- like even if do, they're like, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I do want to emphasize this was like, I think one of the reasons that this particular segment uh, of this like deserves scorn is because this is still one of the better responses from a political <laughs> leader, a national mm-hmm. political leader in the United States, uh, was you know what right. I mean? Like the that, re- like that is a really good point, and it also sort of goes back to this idea about demands. So, like, uh, I understand the the injunction f- for people to have demands. I mean, I, and 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 quite frankly, I think if you don't think there are demands out there circulating among the people who are in the streets, you haven't been really 
paying attention. Yeah. Um, no, maybe you're are, as blind as demands. I am. <laughs> right. Maybe you're blinder um, than I am because I was able to, to find and read those things, but clearly a bunch of other white leftists. But, can't. but the, uh, the, the problem I have with that is not, it's not that I don't believe it, it's important to make demands. I think there are demands out there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're being made. What I don't think is acceptable is the idea that we have to wait for the demands to emerge from the several sacred sites mm-hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. the the prophets speak from uh, <laughs> on, on the hill. Um, but that that's not it. Just it just betrays like real lack of respect for like where social change ought to come from. There's an elitism to exactly. It. There's no yeah. way right. of saying and, it. And I mean, and you brought up the French Revolution earlier, Phil. I mean, like. Mm-hmm. Look at the amount of people out on the streets in New York and look at the amount of police that there are, full stop. Like, we could do a New York City commune, you know? We, we <laughs> have Probably just it. like the Paris commune be crushed by the fucking military within a month, but w- wouldn't it be fucking glorious? Come on. Yeah, I mean, there, <laughs> like, have, there have actually been times where New York City has had whole neighborhoods, like, self-occupied yeah, and had true. autonomous rule. Um, you know, I think it's like three or four times, the most recent of which was in the seventies where Tompkins square park was taken over for about a month, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could just, you know, we could just decide we're not just going to, you know, clearly the demands to cancel rent are falling on deaf ears. Let's, uh, we're not going to cancel just rent. Let's cancel fucking property. And I'm not talking <laughs> about the ty- type of autonomy that you saw during Occupy Wall Street, where you had autonomy with a police president presence. I'm talking yeah. about cops were too scared to go into Tompkins. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is my favorite thing to tell tourists when they're in Tompkins and they're like, why is this? Why? What's the cool story about this place? What's the history here? And I'm like, well, <laughs> one time New York City's homeless population organized together and they took over the park and they, they reclaimed it and they could, the cops couldn't come close for months until the military came and they're like horrified. <laughs> but it is the best story about Tompkins Square Park I have. So yeah. Yeah. just trying to be a good neighbor. I have in fact seen B do this and uh, the, the look on people's faces is priceless. Yeah. One time, <laughs> we, were, <laughs> one time we were with OK and Charlie and I think that the two of them were like slightly behind Artie and I and I, I pulled this and and they came up and they were like, what did you just say to that guy? Like, he looks <laughs> Oh, my we're God. like, what did the guy say to you? Yeah, no, I think, like, I think that, you know, the fact that there are people who feel comfortable, like, sort of sitting up on high and saying, like, you know, oh, I don't see any demands or where are these demands? Like, actually, what they're asking for is, like, I think that you should ask for smaller things than abolition, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really what they're asking. Well, and or to have it, like, neatly packaged for you. Right, yeah. I mean, of course, we're going to see lots of takes that are like, what about the murderers? Gotcha, abolitionists. Ha ha. You know, but obviously, like, that's not really what... (laughs) Well, um, also considering that in what is the statistic in like well, 20, our police other than murder that's what I was going to say in 2019 I think there were only like 24 days uh, out of that entire year when there was not a police uh, like a, a murder of someone by the police so mm-hmm. yeah um, not a great not uh, not a great comeback yeah not no. a great comeback nope doesn't <laughs> not, work sorry not doing it for me sorry yep that one's been tried try something else Get creative. Right. Well, and it, it, it's it's as, it's as if we're well, 
in a way like applying the same rhetoric the 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 like eight the the eight can't wait rhetoric to just like murder in general where we're like well we can't stop all murder but here's how we could stop a bunch of murder here's how we could stop (laughs) 25 percent of murder is no more police yeah like how many people are shot by cops each year do we want to 25 percent fire all cops tomorrow and you'll reduce gun violence there you go yeah right right exactly yeah i mean i think it's like we've seen so much work over the years from like no new jails the fact that you could be like oh there aren't demands is absolutely insulting yeah right exactly because it also completely ignores the fact that this doesn't just come out of like fucking nowhere this comes out i mean we've been like decades of community organizing in new york city yeah (laughs) and and even just considering not just new york too yeah and even well and even like just considering only if you think only of uh you know what became known as like black lives matter which uh, obviously like sprung out of you know this goes back a very long way but if you think only of what became formally known as as uh black lives matter like i've been marching in fucking black lives matter protests for years mm-hmm. you know like it's been like there have been groups and uh demands and like a fundamental like thrust of organizing and one of the reasons that this is like turning into this like again massive nationwide and now i guess international um you know public uprising is because no one has been listened to right yeah. no no one has been listened to and everyone you know everyone continues like it's the same politics as usual have like continued and there's not even and like you know if you look at someone like uh the like joe biden's of the world or whatever shoot there's him like in the not leg. there's not hope not the face yeah, yeah exactly shoot God. him in the leg not no, the no face. it's uh yeah shoot, like there you, aren't big arteries them, in your legs shoot them something. in the shoot them in the leg not the heart uh is <laughs> what he said although also <laughs> worth noting you know again rubber bullets are designed to be fired to bounce off the ground to hit people and they're Not just to going right be at fired faces. point blank where they can actually they can do harm and they can be lethal. Also, the right. fact that like there have been multiple times where people have brought these supposedly like non-lethal uh, tactics and weapons um, to court saying that they actually are lethal. And there is like extensive like medical documentation of the fact that, yeah, rubber bullets like 40 millimeter those are lethal. Uh, right. Tear gas, that is quite lethal. Well, again, that's why tear Pepper gas spray war can crime, be lethal. But they're like, yeah, you know, it's fine. It's just, you're just using it. Chokeholds, <laughs> lethal. Concussion grenades, often like quite lethal or cause long lasting, yeah. lifelong brain damage. Flashbang grenades, they can blind you. They can make you go deaf. You can get injured by shrapnel. Like none of right. these non-violent, non-lethal weapons are actually like non-lethal well, I, yeah. because they, there is no such thing as a non-lethal weapon. Well, they call right? them, they don't even call them. I think, I don't know where like non, non-lethal came from. The police themselves call them less lethal. That's literally what they yeah. call it. It's well, like, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. You, well, I would say maybe I'd instead say, of the eight point plan, you should Google this article from 2014 that is eight stories, eight appalling stories of inmate abuse to teenagers in Rikers Island instead. Mm. Yeah. Well, I would say also, um, you know, shout out to uh, all the people who've done uh, bail fund work, including uh, mm-hmm. the like disability mutual aid fund who we're going to talk to a um person running that uh soon and uh also shout out to all the people 
like basically running uh police scanner duty i feel like yeah this is like the the tools that are out there um and have been pretty widely shared have been really great and i think very useful and it's very awesome that people are doing that also shout out to everyone who's like all the like all the stories i love all the stories coming out that are like uh yeah it's like 11 a.m and clearly someone has already like gotten hold of a police radio and is playing <laughs> uh is playing like chocolate rain uh one of the best. <laughs> um and uh thank you for your service and, and to that end actually since we've been talking about um these sort of uh quote-unquote less lethal weapons i don't know if this is possible but if anyone can find out how to modify uh <laughs> the like military sound cannons that some police forces uh like the nypd are using which they're not to, supposed to use anymore to by turn the way. them into like doing some other sound i think that would be great Sick as I well would love yeah. it if like they turned from these like extremely uh you know possibly like permanent uh uh, permanent ear damaging things into I don't know you could do like a <laughs> I've also heard, well I've also heard Air they horn. can fuck with like yeah, pacemakers exactly. too actually um, they're, they yeah. can fuck with any they are yeah they're evil we've been reading about them because they're they're deploying them in New York City now and people are we're all trying to figure out like what construction what to, grade ear what to do uh, about bugs. it it doesn't help it's in your body the the oh, frequency the body is part. there's nothing yeah, yeah there's nothing you can I do read. what they getting basically behind what, something that's at least two feet thick getting behind so, getting behind something and going uh running to the right or to the left of if it's pointed directly at you is the only thing that i've heard Jesus. it's because they're yeah. because they are directional it's they they insane. they they uh rolled those out when we were protesting them like uh implementing tuition at cooper union when it mm-hmm. was just like 30 kids yeah. outside on uh on third avenue they also like tackled students who were late for class for running so you know just Yikes. want to point out that's like almost as absurd as like the nypd rolling out like an x-ray machine to zap people or something <laughs> yeah. you know what uh-huh. I mean? right <laughs> like, <laughs> like like uh nudie glasses or something from the 50s basically <laughs> you can see everyone's underwear well i mean for specifically like the I don't know. I guess it would be for the purpose of you would have breaking to, down cell structure. You would have or to something. hit someone with an X-ray so many more times, like than you would <laughs> with a sound cannon to do damage. Like even with a broken no, I know. I'm just CT <laughs> machine, you would have to put someone through like a couple of times at least. You know. Yeah. Oh, well, God. You know, when there's a will, there's a way. But uh, but yeah, I mean. And also shout out to everybody who's just been like out every single day protesting. Yeah, fucking keep going out. Keep if going you out. can, if you can, keep doing it. Keep New York City shut down. It's gonna be. I think it's also worth mentioning. Like this, it's really important to keep this energy. Not up. just New York City. Keep sorry, your yeah, city York, shut down. Keep your city shut down. I mean, for for all the cities who are are opening soon, uh, it's it's important to like keep these protests up because, uh, you know what the mayor's really gonna fucking hate is when. No, like normal business is supposed to be resumed and it can't because everybody is in the street. So <laughs> like keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in I think conclusion, um, policing I think that, is a land of contrasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you again for listening. Please consider becoming a patron. We really appreciate it, and it helps us continue to do the show. Support your local mutual aid. Um, go to protest with buddies. Be safe. But please stick around, because right after the break, we have my interview with Kay from Survived and Punished New York and No New Jails to talk about their work coordinating disability mutual aid and why we need to push for more than just criminal justice reform. Abolition now. Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. And stay alive another week. special treat. I'd like to welcome Kay, who is an organizer, social worker. You're an organizer with Survived and Punished, and you've been organizing a disability and mutual aid fund in the city, which you can donate via PayPal at tinyurl.com forward slash disjustice. And you can also follow Kay on Twitter at ShayButterFemme, where they talk a lot about prison abolition and they have started a great FAQ doc that I highly recommend reading before you start tweeting your thoughts about abolition, especially if you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Kay, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really happy to have you here. Um, you are one of my favorite follows on Twitter. <laughs> thank you for having me. So maybe we could get into what the Disability Justice Mutual Aid Fund is, why it was started, and where where you're at with that. Let's get the latest. Could you give our listeners a little rundown? Yeah. So this is my first time running a fund of my own, but a couple of months, well, yeah, a month or two ago, some comrades and I created a SOAP fund for incarcerated people, and we just put a graphic together and made a PayPal and the fund took off and I think it raised close to $40,000. So I was like, that's fantastic. I, yeah, I saw how relatively easy it was to create a fund that could do well if you have a larger social media platform. And so I was like, why not just do a fund for disabled organizers? Um, and I thought of that because I am disabled and I have chronic pain. And I was thinking about what it would take for me to get to an action, um, especially like the Black um, liberation, right. like protests that are happening right now. And I thought about the money that that would have that I would have to put into that to go. And luckily for me, I'm financially stable enough to where I could afford to do it. But a lot of disabled organizers and comrades across the country um, are, they don't have the funds to do mm -hmm. that. So that's pretty much how the fund was born. I thought it would get a couple hundred dollars and I would Venmo it to some people and that would be it. But um, it kind of took off and I decided to relaunch it again yesterday with uh, a larger group of people and just more planning <laughs> on my hand. That's fantastic. I mean, it's a a big thing that's come up recently. A lot 
with uh, the disabled and chronically ill community online is just that people feel very left out or they can't, for financial reasons, they can't afford to get to a protest or to get the additional protective equipment that they would need. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a big fear of additional medical costs that could be incurred from attending protests. So in in addition to the work that you're doing with this fund, Maybe for people who aren't as familiar with some of the other work that you've done in the city around no new jails, um, the work that you've done with survived and punished, sort of stuff that centers around both decarceration, abolition, divestment. Um, you've had a, a sort of long history of, of working in this space, and I think it could be really valuable for people to hear from someone who's actually been working on the ground and, and answering these questions for people and pushing these issues before um, the, the current moment yeah. that we're in. So I'm actually in Survived and Punished right now, and then I'm in a couple of other abolitionist formations throughout the city. And one of them well, two of them um, kind of came off of the, um, I guess, collective I was in, which was called No New Jails. Um, and I guess a short version of it is um, before I moved to New York, there were a, there was a large group of people who were fighting to close Rikers Jail, um, specifically because of Khalif Browder, mm-hmm. um, but also just because it's a jail and it's inhumane. Yeah. Um, and then the mayor um, announced a jail plan that would supposedly close Rikers But in order to do that, there would be four borough-based jails that would open and $11 billion that would be allocated towards those jails. And so um, the group that was working together essentially split because there was one group that said that while the plan opened up the four jails, it was still closing Rikers, so that's a win. And then there is another group of people who said that the opening of any jails is not an abolitionist win. And that group um, was No New Jails. And um, I came to No New Jails because I'm had been a member of Survived and Punished for almost a year and a half now. And we had some members of Survived and Punished who were in no-new jails. And the work in Survived and Punished is great. It's moving. I I consider it my political home, but it's a lot more slow moving compared to the work that no-new jails um, was doing at the time. So I got involved with the group um, around the jail vote. Unfortunately, the vote passed and the jail plan passed. So um yeah, so New York is at this time. New York is having is going to build four new borough-based jails. But um, yeah. yeah, after that, it was it's still okay because I was able to join other mutual aid groups um, from No New Jails and also some groups that are doing some more strategy work around the jails um, and just abolition in New York in general. Right. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we saw. I mean, No New Jails did. F- fantastic work, but it was incredibly frustrating to see how a lot of the rhetoric was sort of being laundered from the movement up into uh, sort of the city officials and other other people that were repeating the rhetoric, but what they were actually proposing was more sort of standard long lines of redirect funding, you know, increase oversight, let's make modern, humane, and clean jail facilities. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and this is something that happens frequently, and we've talked a lot about how on the show, you know, with Medicare for All, as certain ideas start to become more popular as the Overton window opens up, shall we say, there is, you know, the opportunity mm-hmm. for change um, in the meaning of of the call to action, or maybe not meaning, but like the context can be changed and it can water it down and, and be not helpful to the movement that it, it sort of originated from. 
Now, I'm not asking for you to speak on the on behalf of the entire abolition movement, but you know, knowing that this is something that happens, do you think you could give our listeners sort of uh, your take on on sort of what beginners like what is abolition and and what is like what centers the work that you do and what makes it different from simple police mm-hmm. reforms? Yeah. Um, the short version is that I call myself an abolitionist because that means that I want to not only close prisons or um, abolish cops, but I want to get rid of the entire prison industrial complex, which includes anything from like pro police propaganda to police being in schools to ice to the military. And so to be an abolitionist is to understand that um, the system that we have in place, the structure of, of policing is inherently like anti-black and it's inherently violent. And there's nothing that we can do to change it um, and to improve the conditions of people unless we abolish it. Um, so the difference between that and a reformer is a reformer might argue that there are some people who deserve to be in jail <laughs> or that jail is a place where rehabilitation <laughs> takes place, but there we need to do some things to make sure that that actually happens. Um, and I would say that my I've become very, <laughs> if you've seen on Twitter, I've, I've become very, I'm a staunch abolitionist mm-hmm. in a sense that I hate when things are referred to as abolition when they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important for people to be clear with their politics. Um, and so that's something that I try to do constantly and just um, let people know that Police reform right now, as it stands, is a trendy idea that is getting a lot of press coverage. I mean, even even Trump is talking about oh, it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but abolition, yeah, <laughs> abolition, what it will take um, is going to be a very difficult process. And um, that's what I'm committed to. I'm not committed to reform. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen time and time again that simple band-aids really don't do anything. One of the examples I used on our episode was um, I grew up in Los Angeles and the Rodney King demonstrations lasted six days. And I was Mm -hmm. very happy to see that, you know, New York City and, you know, countrywide, we are still going strong (laughs) because after six days, what they achieved in Los Angeles in terms of long term impact was on white supremacy and police violence was not super amazing in a lot of ways, we have a responsibility right now to make sure that we're not accepting any incrementalism and that we're careful with our language and that we're not adding to, in any way, shape, or form, something that could justify further violence on the people who actually are, are doing the work. You know, we've seen many self-styled leftist leaders going out saying, oh, you know, here we are. We're all out at this like peaceful protest. Look (laughs) at this peaceful protest. We're all peaceful here. We're the good protesters. As someone who's been organizing around the issue of abolition for a while, how does it feel to have people like that? be telling you that you know the this movement of for black liberation doesn't have clear goals um <laughs> and that you really need to cooperate and be a little more decent and respectful etc yeah it's interesting because people are so firm in their ideas but they're not actually informed by like research or study um i didn't just wake up and call myself an abolitionist like um i came to that conclusion after reading <laughs> like engaging with other people <laughs> And learning more. Wait, you um, actually had to read Angela Davis? Yeah. You didn't just like tweet yeah, a photo like, out on her birthday yeah. or like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you see that honestly, people use Angela Davis a lot and then still post pro cop rhetoric. <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's 
when people say that we're disorganized, I think that it's honestly, or they say we're disorganized or they say we don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Miriam Kaba said the other day, it's not that we don't have the answers. It's just the answers that we have are not what they like. <laughs> um, so we have a plan for murderers and we have a plan for people who sexually assault people. And we have a plan for like what we want the world to look like and like what the steps would take for us to abolish policing. But people don't like those answers because um, they conflate punishment with accountability. And if there's not a system in place where people are being punished, then they think that that's not a world where people are being accountable. Hmm. Um, And so that's difficult. And then another thing is, I think there's totally nothing wrong with violence. Um, (laughs) I wish people would stop saying stuff like that. (laughs) And I think they would also, I think that it would help if they also brought in their, brought in their idea of violence and also question why certain things are deemed violent and other things aren't. Um, Like we live in a country where people are dying from COVID and our nurses and our doctors can't even get masks yet. NYPD has all this money for tear gas. Mm -hmm. Um, That to me is the real violence um, (laughs) that doesn't get talked about. So I mean, a couple targets getting hit, that's not violence to me. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the budget shortfall for the Department of Education in the state of New York for this coming year is, I think, projected to be seven point four billion dollars and the NYPD Mm -hmm. budget is six point six billion dollars. So it's like so it becomes increasingly hard to justify someone who's saying that we have to be sort of balanced or budget neutral, that we have to pay for the policies that we're proposing. (laughs) I don't think there's anything you could possibly say right now under this current context that sounds more absurd. And then you're going to double down with the sort of racist dog whistle of, um, you know, they're they're decentralized and they don't have a set of coherent demands. It's, It's like, excuse me, it's kind of amazing. In terms of how this work plays out day to day, Many people I know that do social work are in these carcerally adjacent positions where they're either only providing support to people um, in the context of people who have already had their sort of precarceral incident. They're only coming in afterwards, helping with court or they're in an oversight capacity. Maybe um, I think Child Protective Services is a good example people mm-hmm. who are not cops by name perhaps but serve the cop agenda at the end of the day regardless of their job title mm-hmm. a lot of people have been sort of calling for let's take that nypd money and let's put it right directly into social work and you've been <laughs> tweeting about how there's a little bit of a problem with that <laughs> yes yeah um so yeah i've been a social worker for about a year and a half but i've been an organizer for a little over six years now Um, I started organizing when I was an undergrad. Um, The issue with calls to replace cops with more social workers is that they're just idealistic and don't actually look at how deeply (laughs) intertwined the social work like field is with the police state. And it wasn't always like that, but um, due to things like neoliberalism, the connection has become even stronger. Um, I'm a macro social worker. So that means that I don't have individual clients, but I'm usually working on policy and like, systems and my my day job is is a little close to criminal justice reform i work at a, an alternative to incarceration place mm-hmm. um which basically means that if someone completes x y and z then they won't be incarcerated um that's my day job um and even then where i work is a great place and um a lot of people are helped by our work but it's not abolitionist right um 
even if social workers replaced cops and they weren't armed, um, the system wouldn't inherently change because it's less about the name of someone and more about the function of what they're doing. Um, I went to grad school at the University of Michigan for social work and in my program, I met some of the most racist people I have ever <laughs> met in my life. And I'm from North Georgia. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think that a lot of people are like, oh, we should just replace social or we should replace cops with social workers or psychologists, et cetera. And I've bought into that myth. In fact, my essay getting into graduate school was me arguing for that. Um, <laughs> which is so embarrassing. But, you know, it's, it's important, <laughs> you know. It, I do think it's important to admit that when you when you do the work, sometimes you grow, and it's mm-hmm. important to do the work so that you go the praxis, as they say, <laughs> not just the post. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, like exactly, and that is a, that's true. That views I had shifted over time once I learned and engaged more, which I mm-hmm. I would encourage a lot of people to do. Um, but yeah. Social workers, like, at their day job are extremely, extremely limited with how radical they can actually be because most social workers are working within the confines of the nonprofit industrial complex. And even if they have their own, like, private practice, etc., we're still living under the structure of capitalism. So there's only so much I can do. Um, There's only so much any of us can do. And that doesn't mean that there should be more cops or cops shouldn't be defunded, but... What I really need people to do here is to be realistic about the limitations that Mm -hmm. social work has, just like any career has, um, to fix these issues. Because if you think about it, kids are going to jail um, in schools and people are being taken away from their families. And that harm is happening at the hands of social workers that we currently have. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, I think that people just need to be a little more realistic about the profession. I think one of the things that was really frustrating to see as well was... We talked about this also in our episode. DeRay put out this eight-point plan for reforming police. Many of these reforms are actually already in place or currently on the table. Like, for example, in New York City, the banning chokeholds and strangleholds. City Council today was saying that they thought that they had enough votes to even override de Blasio if he were Mm -hmm. to veto it. And I think it's interesting because that chokehold specifically, which murdered Eric Garner, was developed actually by the LAPD in the 50s. They have taken this long to eliminate something with overtly, you know, anti-black origins that was designed to do harm and something, a technique that's been in in place for decades for no reason And then you're proposing that we just change that instead of reforming an entire system whose foundations are built on the principle of racism and white supremacy. You know, it it seems actually more unrealistic and sort of wide-eyed to be proposing incremental reforms when you have such a violent institution that you're pushing up against, you know, especially one that's so heavily armed. Yeah, I think for me, it's a question that I pose, especially to reformers, is when people say that abolition is unrealistic, I think reform is unrealistic in the sense that when you're an abolitionist, you're, you're looking to the past to make connections and predictions about the future. So if you look at um, prisons, prisons were um, prisons were created as a reform 
um, because people thought that they were more humane than capital punishment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or even things like body cameras where another Mm. reform that was very popular, but cops kill people on body cameras. Um, They just turn them off. (laughs) Being an abolitionist. Yeah, exactly. Being an abolitionist to me is about making logical conclusions that if we are living in a state that is founded on Black and Indigenous genocide, um, that any reform that comes from that state is going to be inherently fucked up. Like, I feel like it's a very, very realistic conclusion to come to abolition because For sure. it's, yeah. it's seeing the world as it is. It's, it's, it's naming things as they currently are. Um, and as things currently are, the police state is anti-Black. <laughs> it's always been anti-Black, yeah. and that's all it's going to be. Um, it was founded literally just to police escape slaves. Yeah. That was the <laughs> point of making police. Yeah. It's literally something I say often. It's like, what is not clicking? <laughs> like, I, I yeah. don't understand. Um, um, someone asked for like a quick explanation. And so for me, <laughs> like reform is like if someone built a huge house on top of a sinkhole um, and every day the house was like sinking into the sinkhole. Reform is arguing that if we just fix the kitchen, the people inside of it shouldn't complain. That's <laughs> how logical reform is to me. I don't know. That sounds kind of exactly like uh, how HUD handles NYCHA. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. Literally. <laughs> True. That still might not make a point to them. <laughs> yeah. When people are austerity poisoned, it's really hard to get through sometimes, you know. <laughs> that Definitely. is a good example, though, because I do think part of the problem is that I think for decades there has been propaganda, which sort of propaganda which places the carceral state as sort of the thin line between your property and your liberty. These are things that we give up in order to protect our homes or our, you know, stuff or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to people who? argue that if you get rid of that authoritarian white supremacist structure that we will be unsafe Mm -hmm. um i would say that so the main issue is just how we as a society conceptualize safety to begin with um and the way that people think about safety is again rooted in anti-blackness whether or not people want to admit that um, and also the way that we think about violence, too, is it's colored by white supremacy, mm-hmm. which is why, for example, um, people are so quick to say that prison abolition can't happen because of murderers, but then support the military, which is <laughs> literally founded on murder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of their job. It's like, go exactly. there, do murder, yeah. right? So <laughs> for me, it's if, if people, if someone's coming to me in good faith, And they're like, I want to end violence. And I can't see a world where violence isn't ended without policing. I would question, what do they actually think takes place in prisons? Um, (laughs) Part of the reason why I went so hard on abolition is because I became a survivor of sexual violence and realized just how often that takes place in prisons. People are stripped of their humanity daily. And then when they leave prisons, their, their life is in their life is completely fucked up because of the situation that they went through. So if someone is committed to ending violence, to me, it's more logical to start at its root and start working against the systems of racism and ableism and homophobia and the patriarchy 
etc. Then to invest in a system which has continuously failed at addressing any root causes of violence and instead perpetuates it. I think that people think that there are people who wake up and they're good. And then there's people who wake up and they are bad. And um, the bad people just need to be sent away and everything will be fine. (laughs) And a lot of people cling to that idea because that doesn't require them to grapple with the fact that there are people who have caused harm. There are people who have been harmed. And those two identities, most people... Most people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, most people have been harmed and most people have caused harm. But it's a lot easier to think that there's only one group of people that's causing harm. They're bad and they need to be away from me. Um, <laughs> and when we do that, <sighs> all we do is perpetuate the harm instead of getting to the root causes of it. Um, so, yeah, sorry. I feel like I went on a tangent. But oh, no, not at people, all. Not at all. Say, like, wake up. <laughs> Um, learn what actually happens in prisons, talk to incarcerated people, talk to their loved ones, and also look at the statistics. Um, there's no way to be rooting for prison in any way without being anti-Black or racist. If you look at the numbers, um, you want you to believe that Black people are the worst, like, and that's why they deserve to be there. That, that's the only argument that I can think of. That, that's the only argument that I hear when people are pro-prisons. Literally, because that's that's the logical conclusion. Right, exactly. I mean, it's just like when someone tells me that they don't support Medicare for all, I hear I want disabled and poor people to die. Yeah. They're like, what about the murderers you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> I don't value black lives. All right. Yeah, I think, I think also protesting is great. Um, my roots in organizing are in direct action. But I think that when people conflate going to protest with organizing when it's just a component of it that's where we start to lose Mm -hmm. um and so while the momentum is great in my mind as an organizer i'm thinking how do we get these people plugged in to finding a political home um so that they're ready to go Mm -hmm. the next time this unfortunately happens um because right now we have a lot of people who are like i've never cared before but i want to get involved now yeah that's great but (laughs) If we've been meeting weekly for like months on end, it's a little hard to catch someone up to speed um, (laughs) in the midst of a traumatic event. (laughs) Yeah. So like my advice is to people who want to organize, to people who want to help, and maybe they were previously activated before. um, Let's say this moment is happening and you feel like you're not plugged in. Think about what you can lend to others that doesn't require the labor of someone educating you and then circle back when things have calmed a little bit down and commit to working with a group of people to, to mm-hmm. bring about change. Um, think about the people who are planning these actions and ask them how they're doing outside of the actions and actually like maintain a long-term commitment and then you won't feel this frazzled next time. It's great to see how many people are involved. It's just frustrating to see how much of it is performative and I'm sure that my frustration is like paled in comparison to yours, but the maybe we could just touch on the sort of Black Lives Matter black box Instagram <laughs> phenomena that happened this week. People still seem to be a little confused about what actually went down. So maybe the last piece of emotional labor I'll request from you is: Do you think we could get your definitive take on the Blackout Tuesday? Yeah, um, I can give my best take, which is. I woke up and then my Instagram was black and I had no idea why. And when I talked to, <laughs> when I talked to other black organizers that I've been building with for a while, they also had no idea. why. Yeah. Like, like as I tweeted, like 
they were on a rampage. Like <laughs> they would not stop. Um, and for me, that is performance. So we have a huge moment right now where people are getting plugged in, asking questions. Maybe they didn't care before, but they want to know now. And then a media blackout mm-hmm. during that time does not make any sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> um, if anything, this is a time we need to be bl- plugging people's feeds with mutual aid funds, yeah. um, information about abolition, um, groups that they can join or donate to, etc. And instead, um, white people who have not even posted on Instagram in a year logged on to post their little black box and then logged off. <laughs> um, and a lot of people are like, well, the black boxes are okay if, as long as you're doing other work. But to me, again, it's, it's illogical to me <laughs> when we spend all this time getting all this momentum going right. and then we're slowing it down by doing this. Um, and so something I would really ask people to do is to engage with black people outside of like the concept of black people and actually mm-hmm. get to know, <laughs> get to know black radical people, um, black organizers who have a politic that is rooted um, in abolition or something um, Hell yeah. a lot more sensible than liberalism <laughs> right? Um, and actually listen to what we're saying before you just hop on the latest trend. Um, and I think a lot of people were posting out of fear. They're like, if I don't post this black box, people are going to think I'm racist. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which again, if you were confident in the work that you're doing and confident in your connections to the community, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find a need to engage in performative things, whether that's taking a picture at a protest or posting a black box. Um, the more confidence, the more confident that you are, the more confidence that you have that you are actually doing the work, um, the less time you have for things like that. Yeah. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You can follow Kay on Twitter at SheaButterFem. You can also donate to the Disability Mutual Aid Fund that they are running at tinyurl.com forward slash disjustice. Again, if you're donating, donate via PayPal. That is preferred. Um, Kay, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so, 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 so much. Everyone stay safe. (laughs) Bye. Bye.